Most people know that they need to do the most basic due diligence when they buy a property. Either get a building and pest inspection if they're buying a house or a strata records inspection when they're buying an apartment, townhouse or villa. But how do they know whether they can rely on these reports, whether they're truly comprehensive and will highlight every potential issue? With strata reports, how can you be certain the inspector has been given access to all of the records? And if the report is provided by the vendor, is it, well, worth the paper it's been written on? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. Today, we're joined by Michael Ferrier, founder and MD of Ion Property Inspections. Uh, Michael founded Ion back in 2008 because he saw an opportunity to turn a cottage industry into a professional level of service. And since then, we've seen others come to market with similar models. On the surface, this seems great for both buyers and sellers, but is it really? What problems arise from scaling a service like this? Are there industry standards that must be adhered to? Do inspectors need to be appropriately qualified and licensed? We'll be covering these topics and more in our discussion today. Thanks so much for joining us today, Michael. It's been a long time because we last met back in episode 10. It seems that's actually nearly five years ago. Wow, that is a long time. Quite surprising, really. Where's that time gone? I don't know. We've had a pandemic since then. <laughs> yeah, multiple property yes. cycles, the up of yeah. 20, uh, 2017, 18, the downturn, back up, the, the, what we're seeing today. I think that'd be a good place to start, to be honest, Mark. I mean, we spoke very briefly offline before the before this chat. Um, and just how, yeah. you know, so much like, are you busier, are you not busier? But how consumer and agent behaviour changes in towards sort of due diligence and sort of you know people's appetite for getting reports and i think that's quite fascinating because you know people try to stop you know save money at times like now when you know it's even more important when there's you know less quality on the market to be and building prices are through the roof you want to be even more certain that you know you're doing your due diligence so how are you seeing things change at the two levels well in theory the balance has shifted towards buyers and so they should be in a stronger position to insist on, you know, due diligence and all of that sort of stuff. Agents, on the other hand, or sellers and agents, if you group them together, yeah. um, you know, seem to be more worried about losing buyers. Buyers are harder to find. You know, I mean, this is the generalisation. Yeah. Obviously, different parts of the market will be different, but. Um, buyers seem a bit harder to find, and so agents get very worried <laughs> if if a buyer um, walks away because yeah. you know it's not so easy to sell that property as it was even twelve months ago, or even six or seven months ago. Um, so, so that's interesting, and um, certainly what we've seen on the sell side is agents are being much more price sensitive about the vendor's contribution or their contribution to due diligence reports, which I think is dangerous because, you know, you get what you pay for in most cases. Can, can we just wind that back a little bit? 
Because, you yeah. know, when I was a sales agent, when I was young, yes. you know, all that time ago, um, <laughs> the buyers all bought their own individual building pests or Australia right. reports, right? And there was, you know, and so there was an automatic delay put into the system as well. I mean, nearly everything we yes. sold was auction anyway, but even in a private treaty negotiation, yes. people needed time to get the inspector book, the inspector to do the inspection and then obviously to write the report. And with Strata, even longer potentially because they've got to book in and go and see yeah. the um, access to records. But then there's this sort of influx of vendor paid reports. So that is where the agent yeah. suggested to the vendor as, a, as, a, and as an aid to selling process, whether it's because it speeds buyers yeah. up and, and they don't need to slow things down to go and get their own reports or whether it takes removes a barrier. Uh, I think that's that was one agency that, that has their sales pitch is to provide free reports to all buyers. I think they were removing a barrier that, that might stop somebody participating at an auction or perhaps making an offer. But then, so then that leads into a whole new array of things. So instead of the buyer and maybe 10 different reports being done on one property in a hot market and maybe two in a slow market, and everybody paying for their own individual report and buy and uh, building inspectors even not they might want to on sell the report but it's not as easy because their contract is with the buyer and the buyer's not going to actually let them on sell that report all that sort of stuff and now you've right. got right. aggregators effectively like your business that that says right well we'll have one inspection done for the property and everyone can either get it for free depending on what the model is with the agent uh, or you can pay full whack and get a refund if you don't buy it, or perhaps you can pay $29 and then you pay a top-up if you do buy it. There's all these right. sort of different models out there. And and I guess what it has taken the building and pest inspection report and perhaps the strata inspection report away from being a due diligence document to being a marketing document, like part of the marketing uh, assets of, of the sales agent. So that that in in that changes the way people perceive the value of it and also whether the, or not they want to pay for it. So I guess in what you're saying there, when the market slows down and if agents start to be more price sensitive, they're viewing it as a marketing tool and they're not going to get their bang for you know their bang for money back, right? Well, yeah. Well, first thing I should say is that yeah, I'll take some of the blame for that because we were the first business to offer the vendor side services. Um, the reason that we did it primarily was that it would, because buyers, particularly in the Sydney market, were operating in an auction environment mm. and they had to do all their due diligence before they could even bid at, you know, five or six hundred dollars or three hundred dollars odd for a strata report, for, you know, six hundred for a building and pest. You have a situation where people were spending a lot of money um doing due diligence on a property they didn't they perhaps even went in the running for um and so we introduced a service that would provide a quicker and cheaper way for buyers to access the due diligence the intention of course was for it to be exactly the same report that it was when it was buyer generated yeah and i'll put my hand in my heart and say our reports remain exactly the same right whether they're buyer generated or whether they're vendor generated and the inspectors who do work for us often don't really know whether it's a buyer generated uh, or vendor generated report. Right, got it. And that's this is a really important point. But yes, there are plenty of providers out there who are doing reports for agents and, you know, they do get pushback from agents in, in certain cases and it depends how you react to that. 
um, you know, and it's a thin end of the wedge if you start to to give way. And and I do think that this has become worse. And you know, I, I I'll talk a fair bit today about strata reports because one of the things that happened during COVID was that most inspections are now being done remotely instead of done face to face, as you mentioned before. You know, yes, you still have to book in with the strata manager, but the access to the documents is remote. Now that happens a variety of ways, but it means the inspection time, its travel time is removed for inspectors. And so some inspectors are just saying, right, well, I'll just do more jobs per day. Now, that has a direct consequence for quality. Um, we know that um, from our business. We deal with these inspectors too. And one of the big concerns I have is, is the quality of information that buyers are getting is falling. Um, and, and and that's a big issue because I think it's the most important information about a property that people can get. Particularly with Strata, um, I mean, we've had a lot, quite a number of episodes where we've we've discussed Strata reports, and I guess yeah. most recently, episode two hundred six with Nicole Johnson, where we really talked about who was the gatekeeper to information um, in in the Strata environment, and also episode two hundred fifty and and a number of other ones with Amanda Farmer, who's a Strata lawyer. Yeah, and yeah, you, you would know, and and yeah, I did a podcast with her recently on this topic as well. Yeah, so, yeah. it is mm. alarming that there's no standards for record keeping even um, at the strata management level, and then then of course there's no standards for the strata report. So, as an aggregate, I hope you don't mind me calling you an aggregator, but you guys don't <laughs> yourselves write these strata reports. You hire, you uh, effectively commission people who do do that, right? How, how do you so, ensure that you've got consistency of um, of approach of of you know documentation, and and I guess how do you um, highlight what's missing? So okay, that, it's a really good question, and the way that we do that, and I believe we're the only ones who do it, is that one hundred percent of the reports that get done and all the reports have our brand on them by the way we're, we're not an aggregator of different brands we stand behind yeah. every report right. that, that comes through our system but we check and that means fully review and that could be a hundred or a thousand pages of documents every single report that comes in and where there are document gaps we chase those up um, and then on top of that, there'll be situations where new information becomes available after we've done the inspection, but during the, the property market marketing period, for example, minutes of a meeting that happened to, you know, a meeting that happens tomorrow, minutes might be available next week. Mm. We will chase up and get those, add them to the report and then send the updated report to people who've downloaded it from us. Now, nobody else does that. That's the way that we, um, achieve some sense of reliability. But the point that you make is a really important one, and that is there is no gatekeeper. Mm. There's no requirement for qualifications. This is strata reports I'm talking specifically about here. Yeah. No requirement for qualifications, no requirement for experience. In most cases, these reports are being done by inspectors who work for themselves. Nobody checks the work that they do. And... Um, Often the follow-up support that people who get the report experience is terrible. And and that is because where they're being paid a fee on the vendor side, they don't, there's no incentive for them to provide follow-up support, really. 
So, mm. and they're busy. You know, they run their business mm. from their phone and, you know, it's not, it's not that easy to do it. So, um, Do you think so, that's one of the dangers mm. of using a, um, I won't say their names, but, you know, I've seen it multiple times, different companies with, you know, you apply, get asked for a contract um, and then they'll send you, hey, do you want to download the building and pest report? We've already organized it through so-and-so company, but it's only $49. Do you reckon that's one of the, one of the risks is obviously that, you know, there may be conflicts of interest there with the vendor and the agent, you know, wanting to highlight the positives yeah. and not maybe in enough detail of some of the negatives. But the follow-up, the key, the questions, the asking the building, you know, the one who, the person who did the inspection, those key questions, that yes. conversation, you're not going to get that for forty nine dollars. So, you know, yeah. Look, I, I think if somebody downloads a report from us for, you know, our download price, you know, which is fifty nine dollars for a building and pest or thirty nine dollars for a strata report, yeah, they can ring us and ask us a hundred questions, and we'll spend an hour on the phone with them if that's what's needed. But I know nobody else does that. Yeah. Right? So I think that the follow-up support is the most important part of the process. Yeah. And, and and because if you're buying a house, for example, and you, you, you know, you're concerned about termites or you're concerned about water leaks or whatever it is, then being able to ask questions about what the inspector saw is valuable. Now, and, but with a strata report, a lot of people don't understand the information that's in the report. They might be advised by their lawyer Ooh. or whoever it is to get the report, but then they often don't understand the information and they just put it to one side and um, and they don't follow it up. And and that's the problem. Well, yeah, I think mm. people misunderstand. Like you just said, a, a strata inspect reports inspector does not need any qualifications. I mean, are there even a no. qualification? Is there even a qualification for the job? I don't know. So... You know, you might assume no. somebody's got a background in strata. You might assume that the person mm. writing the report is qualified to judge whether it's good, bad, and different. Uh. And because it's, uh, you know, comprehensive, it's complex. You know, obviously strata reports are co and they're boring. I've read hundreds of them, probably thousands. They're boring. Uh, less, I bet I've read more. I bet than you have you. too. And I do not want to <laughs> win that fight. Um, but, you know, they are, they're just, they're tedious and, and we've got a, a template that we use so that we can pull out the salient bits of information and really sort of highlight where the bits are missing. Yeah, but yeah. it's dull. And and if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not inclined, you're not detail-oriented, and you make that assumption that the inspector knows what they're doing and will flag something if there's wrong, you just think, I tick, I tick that box, I got that done, so then I'm good to go and buy this property. And I think that's yes. I think that's probably one of the big dangers because that's not really even discussed. It's not even like, you know, I, I don't even know. I, the lawyers, I've heard lawyers say, oh, yes, I'll read the strata report. Unless they're specialists in the strata space, you know, they'll they'll say things like, oh, there's a lot of money in the sticky fund. That's good. You know, the CapWorks fund. Yeah, that's that, good. And uh, <laughs> without yeah. any context, you know. No, that's right. I mean, there might be a million dollars in the, in the Capital Works Fund, but there should be $4 million yeah, they in need there. Yeah. <laughs> Because it might be a really big complex, and you know they've got a massive, they've got massive upcoming expenditure. So, um, for you know th that might be scheduled. Mm. So yes, it, it is a bit of it can be a bit of a dry topic. Um, but gee, it, it it it's as my um, customer service people will say, they feel really good about themselves when they get off the phone with somebody, and that person feels so much better about their process because they actually understand what's going on. And what I, one thing I will say about that is that a lot of buyers 
get very concerned about buying into an apartment building, particularly if they don't really understand strata very well. But if they understand what's in front of them and you can give them some, you know, some explanation about what all the information means, it makes a massive difference to, to their outlook, a very positive difference in many cases. And I don't think real estate agents appreciate that either. <laughs> um, you know, I've, got, I've so. got a bit of an example on that, actually. Um, yeah. Because I know that there is that assumption that, oh, if it's it, – well, look, let's face it. In a hot market – Chris alluded to this earlier. In a hot market, oh. um, no one really cares. You know, they, they really will overlook all sorts of red flags to buy the property because they're more panicked about getting into the oh. market or getting left behind, Right. Whereas in a yes. slow market, buyers become very picky about stuff like this. And and if yeah. a lawyer, for instance, will will raise a red flag, the buyer is more likely to go, oh, hang on a minute, and, and get cold feet. And that's the thing that agents don't like. They freak out that they're going to lose a buyer. What agents often don't realise, and not all, but some, don't realise that being on the front foot with this stuff is actually in their best interests. That to be really upfront with what's what's wrong with the property it's assuming it's solvable, that is, is, you know, and I'll give you an example. And one is really the, um, you know, the material fact laws that came in some years ago after somebody bought a house that had a triple murder in there. And then yeah, they I discovered yeah. mm. they discovered afterwards that, um, that this had happened and they were able to get their sale revoked. They got their money back, et cetera, et cetera. It subsequently sold for a lot less money. Um, I've known a couple of different properties that have had brutal murders in them that have been marketed by agents since this material fact laws legislation has come into place in New South Wales. So the agents had to be on the front foot about the terrible things that happened in these properties. And I can think of two off the top of my head and both of them sold over expectations. So whereas that first one where it was where it was hidden and there was all this sort of subterfuge around it and that subsequent um, sale was really tinged by the fact that it had this terrible thing happen, but also the fact that the buyer was able to rescind, right? When the agents are on the front foot about something so awful as that, right, it has been proven in court to cost, you know, the price, have an impact on the price, negative yeah. impact on the price. When they're upfront about that, it has had no impact, in fact, possibly the opposite, because I think buyers really do respond well to honesty. There's my theory. I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that's sort of what I was saying before is that if people understand what's going on, it gives them confidence. Mm. Whether that, even if that thing it might not be a good thing that's going on in the building, for example, in an apartment building, it might be special levies. But if they understand, so when people see a special levy for $2 million in a building, mm. they freak out. But when you explain to them that their unit entitlement is half a percent, and that ultimately over the next two years, that special levy is going to cost them $10,000. And that they can factor that in to their decision to purchase a property that's you know, perhaps over a million dollars, right? And, and, and so they, make it, they can make an informed decision. And often they say, oh, okay, I, I can see that now. And they can work out how they, how they deal with that. Yeah. But if they don't understand the information, they'll, they might run away. Um, and I do think that there, I do think that one of the benefits of these vendor services is it does allow agents to take a proactive view if they look at the information as being um, helpful. Well, if it's reliable, yeah, you know, to the and therein lies the problem, though, isn't it? Because if if 
um, buyers inherently distrust agents. Yeah. Then and let's face it, I've seen some inspection reports that have been done. I'm talking now about building in- inspection reports uh-huh. that have been done uh-huh. or commissioned by selling agents. Yeah. And, yeah. and in one in particular was done by a, a, like a franchised uh, mm-hmm. building inspection group, right? So we do yep. quite a lot of business with one of the franchisees and franchisees, franchisees, yeah. Yes, um, franchisees, yeah. And a different one we will always refuse to um, use or even look at their report. I won't even open it. However, uh, in this particular instance, um, a client looked at the one provided by the agent and we'd already commissioned our one. And then put the client put the two side by side, and yep. it was fascinating because the clients won the one we had paid for. They the inspector had gone under the house, yep. they gone in the roof, but not only had they gone under the house, they discovered that two of the ground floor bathrooms had leaked so much that the floors were about to give way in both of them. Whereas the first right. inspector hadn't even been under the house. They said there were no yep. major defects. So, and because the format yep. was identical, I could literally line them up side by side and look at one that had almost no ticks, the other one had heaps of ticks, you know. And so yep. that was a, that's a, I went back to the agency who'd given that first report of, away for free and said to them, you got a, you got a, a problem here because you're, you're making false declarations. You know, if people rely on this, I think you're liable. I don't think the building inspector's liable. Uh, you know, I'd love to see that tested in court. Because you're providing that. So I yeah. guess that leads to the question too, to you, who is liable with these building inspection reports and strata reports, yeah. if they're booked through you or through another sort of aggregator or, or directly? Mm-hmm. So, so, to, so just on that, if agents are giving reports to buyers, and we know that agents do that, um, they, they're not allowed to do that with our reports, although some are naughty. Um, but we often find out about it when people ring up to ask questions and, you know, we, we can't find them in our system. But part of the reason that that's important is it protects the buyer. So they come and they download it from us. They agree our terms and conditions, and then they'll be protected by our insurances and supported by our customer service. So, but if they get given the report for free and they want to ask a question, well, the inspector doesn't know who they are. They don't know who's got their report. They can't be bothered answering questions about it. So there's no service. It's just a report. So so I think if you're given a report by an agent, you should trust it a lot less than if you have to go to a third party and access the report and then they'll, they stand behind that report. Now, so I, I definitely think there's a big difference there. I mean, do you find yourself, Michael, though, like other aggregator reports uh, where it's a, just a basically a, a war on price. So you're, you're 59 bucks. Uh, someone yeah. will come in and offer agents $39 and the and yeah. which are a lot less due diligence potentially or the quality agents. Like, My chance of sale is higher because a customers are going to pay $39 over $59 just, and uh, then B they're not going through the floors. They're not going through the roofs. They've got way more disclaimers on everything. They're very friendly for the agent. <laughs> Then they just all of a sudden, so, there's a huge conflict there, isn't there? Well, potentially, and then obviously if the agent's dealing with an individual inspector, that inspector, you know, might be very reliant on that agent for their work. Yeah. And therefore, the, they can more easily be compromised or, or feel like they need to give a little bit to the agent. In our situation, it's different because we're obviously working with a lot of different businesses and we won't, we just won't change things. 
it's it's just you know it's got to reflect what the inspector saw at the property um and access to different areas of the property is sometimes an issue yeah sometimes there is an access under the property or in the roof and and yes there has to be a disclaimer about that in the report if you literally can't get in um for some reason it's locked um bolted you know shut or it's yeah, you know, th- th- there's not enough crawl space you know, for the inspector to physically get themselves under there. It, it's not you see an, that a lot in the inner west, for example. Not, not an industry um, for big fellows, right? It, you've got to be quite no, spelt to crawl through those that's hatches. That's right. Now, so building and pest reports are very subjective in the sense that they're based on what the inspector who did the inspection sees at the property on the day of the inspection. Where a strata report is less subjective because essentially it's a summary of facts about the building and it really doesn't include the opinion of the inspector very much. Now, if some of the information is missing and that could be the fault of the inspector or it could be the fault of the records themselves and we can talk about that separately in a minute, it's a separate issue, um, then then clearly that affects quality. And same if the information that's in the report is wrong because or it omits important stuff because they haven't done the job properly they haven't gone through the documents properly and found the important bits is there anything to prevent a strata manager withholding salient information uh well the access they're supposed to give access to all records so in theory they they they, they can't withhold record there are some questions around legal professional privilege uh. so if there's a if litigation is going on they can argue that some documents are subject to privilege. Um, so, but aside from that, all the documents should be there. The ra- reality, unfortunately, is that often all the documents are simply not there, and the strata manager doesn't necessarily know where they are. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's a slightly different issue. Um, and often that can occur when they when the building has changed strata managers. Yeah. So you move from strata manager manager A to strata manager B. And strata manager A has to transfer all the records across. And often that's the process for that is terrible uh. a lot of the time. And so those records, the new the records that the new strata manager holds are quite often not complete. Are you going to the houses, Mike, either strata units or townhouses or apartments, et cetera, with your strata reports? Do you think it's enough just to look at the records or you know, you really need to then go match that to the building and walk around and take some photos mm-hmm. and, you know, because there's two options, right? Yeah, our report, our report is, is a report on the records. So we don't go to the building. Um, my personal view is there's limited value in getting a building inspection report done on a unit because they can't inspect much of the building, mm-hmm. only the unit itself and the common areas. If it's a very, very small building, perhaps they can get on the roof. But they certainly can't get into the apartment above or the apartment below. And so, you know, a lot of those issues, a lot of those issues are strata issues rather than owner issues as well. Although, you know, clearly they are, uh, they are defect issues nonetheless. Um, but often, and I think this is, this is important, is that when you've d- looked at the records and you can see the history of the, in the building, often that will give you a hint as to what the building looks like. And sometimes when people ring us up and ask questions and we say to them, what does the build, does the building, building look in good condition or not? And they'll say, yes, it, it looks like in good shape. And I say, well, that's consistent with the records. 
you know, their maintenance, you can see there's regular maintenance, they're keeping it in line with their capital works fund forecast, they've got money in the bank, um, you know, that there's good summaries of what's going on. And so you can see that that building is well maintained. And so it does give you a guide to the quality of the building sometimes, even though we, we, we have not been there. One thing Amanda Farmer uh, always says is that when you inspect so, the records, you really should look at the email trails. So yes. do you include those in your reports? Yeah, yes, there'll be correspondence. I mean, it's a question of, of including the right stuff. So, for example, there can be a lot of minor correspondence that's really not not relevant. Mm. What you're looking for is correspondence concerning um, current issues or issues that are important to owners. Um, sometimes they can issues that are important can be around noise or pets or stuff like that. But equally, it can be around defects or it can be around um, insurances or, you know, yeah, water leaks and all of that sort of stuff, particularly in newer buildings. We see that. So, yes, they're looking for correspondence um, for sure. Uh, I agree with her. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, with your, like, let's say you 100 strata reports, what, what percentage yeah. of them do you think, given you've seen thousands, like, do you think it's like yeah. you know, 80, 90% of them are, are pretty good, you know, buildings are run pretty well, or do you reckon it's like the other way? Like, you know, how uh, big of an issue do you think it is to where a lot of buildings are underfunded or underinsured and haven't got a, um, you know, have got a huge list of things that they need to be fixing and, and not getting on top of their sort of capital work? What's your sort of overall take? Um, I'd say the majority of buildings don't follow their capital works fund forecast or get it updated often enough. <laughs> Um, and I'd say that's that's something that that need you know in perfect world should be addressed. Um, I would say. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. it, it's legislated, it, it, but it, we in New South Wales anyway, and and perhaps I know yes. you also operate in Western Australia, so perhaps you can yes. weigh into what what the legislation is over yeah. there. But in New South Wales, they they have to have it. Well, it's legislated to be updated every five years. But I love it. You got to have it. You got to update it, and often I see that they're not updated. Um, but you don't have to follow it. That's what I think is just no. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did slightly change the wording on that a couple of years ago to say that practically as possible you're supposed to follow it. But you know, it, it's not that strict. And even though it, yes, it's supposed to be updated every five years. Usually the forecasts are ten years, sometimes fifteen years. And so people look at it and say, oh, well, I don't need to get this updated until the end of the forecast period. But again, owners need to take some responsibility here too, because, it, you know, through that period, they're incurring expenditure. And so they should be getting somebody, an expert to come in and say, right, well, the, the future is going to change based on what you've done in the recent past. And and so I think they should get updated every two or three years. Right, um, building costs are uh, changing, right? Uh, yeah. Correct. Forecast the forecast will change, all of that stuff. Then you fight the battle where people get worried that levies will go up, <laughs> and um, and so that becomes a separate discussion. You know, is a building with low levies a good building or a bad building? Um, and you know, so like I can I can give a story about that. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions, and you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au, and there you'll find resources for first-home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, 
access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs, or lower North Shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. And if you'd like a 30% discount plus free postage for my book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property, Even Though You're Scared Shitless, and yes, I'm a potty mouth, use the code ELEPHANT at the checkout, bronicamorgan.com.au. If you're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. Bought uh, an apartment in a building that has a special levy looming, quite a big special levy, and the levies were so small and they they had obviously voted to keep these small for some time. And yes. so the Capital Works Fund was, was you know, woefully low and now they've got this big uh, special levy. So we sort of got across what that's for and, and, the, and the quantum of that and the risks of that being higher than that. But when we negotiated a deal on that property, we I I reckon best case scenario, we we triple we the discount we got was triple the cost of the special levy. So yes. it cost the owner of that property Fair. a lot more money for not investing in that build and for voting in you know, it's only a small building, it's only six in the building as well. So presumably that owner has voted against raising levies, against um, you know, attending to these issues, and now they have to attend to them. And so, yeah, we got, as I said, we got a substantial discount, and it's it's an absolute cracker apartment. Should have sold, and in fact, the agent told me they'd issued something like twenty eight contracts, and they'd all fallen over because of this big special levy. So yeah. they yes. shot themselves in the foot by not looking after the building yes. properly, and now they have to. So yeah. we'll be done. But like, what an idiot! Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just saying, it makes sense if you think you put yourself in a buyer's shoes. So like. Buyers can borrow 90% of the purchase price, but then they can't then go and buy 90% of the special levy, right? Yeah. Um, and no. so, you know, if, you, if you're, uh, yeah, so and most first-time buyers are cash poor, you mm-hmm. know, absolutely. So they're not going to have a spare 100 grand or 50 grand for a special exactly. levy. Exactly. The concern of what that may or may be, the unknown, which is what Michael was talking about before, that is, that freaks first-time buyers out. They need mm-hmm. to know everything, right? They, It's like cash flow is tight. They need to get on, there's a danger zone. Um, and investors don't, can borrow 105%, let's call it, of a purchase price, if not more, potentially. But maybe they haven't got enough equity to, if they use that equity for a special levy, or maybe they haven't got access to equity, and it stops them investing in other things. And so, um, yeah, I think the, the special levy thing is, is something where, absolutely, if you just get on the front foot, um, remove that cost of anyone after sale, um, that's a much better option, right? Agreed. And... and- I think this goes back to what we were saying before is that if you're not investing in the building, um, over time, that building's going to start to look tired and it's going to need big money spent on it. Now, the fact that it looks tired has got to affect the value um, of the apartments in that building and, you know, all other things being equal. And so in the long term or even the medium term, it plays against the owners to keep their levies low and avoid you know, updating their patent, getting the building painted or upgrading the lifts or whatever it else is that they need to do. But even if you just want it, like, for example, you said, I'm never going to sell it. So 
I'm going to hold for 30 years, so it doesn't matter to me. But you never know when you need to get a valuation on it. And that valuation may is affected by what other sales are in the building. Or you never know when you might yeah. need to sell it, right? Um, because your life circumstances change. And that's why other thing I think people get lazy with it. They just sort of, I don't need the vow. Oh, doesn't matter to me. It's just an investment property, et cetera. But then all of a sudden they need to sell or they need to get a valuation. And they go, oh God, actually it's nowhere near as good as I need it to be because we haven't, you know, been investing yeah. in the building. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people are apathetic about strata. Owners are, are a bit apathetic about it. They don't attend meetings. They don't, yeah, yeah, they don't contribute to a strata committee and stuff like that. And then when something happens like a special levy, they scream, um, you know, how could this have happened and, and so on. Um, so I do think owners need to understand that they're part of a community. And if you want a decent community, you've got to contribute to the community. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. That's what you're living in. You're buying into a community. That's, that's also one of the things that can come through the email correspondence in the Strata report. And, and yes. that is how harmonious it is and how, how um, yes. functional or otherwise, you know, the owner's corporation is as well, or the, the body corporate or the executive corporation, what, what the executive committee, whatever it's called in your state or jurisdiction. Actually, and on that, sorry, I was asking you about WA before. Are the, oh, yeah. Is the legislation somewhat similar? It was changed a few years ago to make it a little bit more like New South Wales legislation. Um, so, yes, th they they have introduced some more requirements around capital works funds and stuff like that. The practice over there hasn't been for people to get strata reports in, in terms of buying property. And that's the case in some other jurisdictions as well, which really amazes me. Wow. Is that I, I don't understand why, how people are making these decisions without better information. But it's, it seems it's just become the way things are done in that jurisdiction. And so, you know, people find it's hard to change people's behaviour. Well, we, um, whereabouts are you talking about there? So, well, the ACT is an example. So they have compulsory building and pest reports, mm. but no requirements for strata. And, and our experience is that is that most often people just don't bother um, searching the records. Wow. Which, I, you know, I find crazy. In Victoria... Um, there is vendor disclosure, mm. there are vendor disclosure rules that require them to provide some information that gets provided by the strata manager. And that information, while it's useful, is limited. It's mm. mostly around current year financials and current year minutes. It might talk about recent special levies, but really that's about it. Yeah. And, and, and so, but again, the practice down there has just been to rely on that disclosure, which, you know... But it, but it anyway. comes down to buyers not knowing what they don't know. And so, like, you know, with that, I think Nicole Johnson was speaking about that in episode 206, yeah. if my memory uh, serves me well, in that buyers rely on that because they think that that has all the information that they would need. Um, yeah. And it's like everywhere you go, like Queensland is a classic. Queensland has the least amount of vendor disclosure, although apparently the highest amount of vendor disclosure for off-the-plan purchases, but for everything else, it's got bugger all. And so buyers wouldn't even know what they don't know there. Whereas in New South Wales and yep. Victoria, for that matter, there's quite a lot of um, of compulsory uh, disclosure or, or uh, what they call it, um, prescribed documents that have to be given. Uh, you yes. know, and, and so that, that's the problem also when you've got people buying interstate, 
um, and they may be used to buying in their jurisdiction. They go and buy in Queensland, for instance. They've got no idea. They just assume it's the same. It's totally di- yeah. different. And what cost is your um, your reports, Michael? Like in terms, they said fifty nine dollars through an aggregate. Like if you are with a, yeah. a real estate company that's providing, it's basically paid yeah. for the report, and then you make it, or you do it for free for them. Well, and you say fifty nine dollars every time. We've got a few. We've got a. We have a few different models. So um, the idea is to is to make it cheap for the buyers to download the report, and then the person who buys the property will pay a top up fee. That's generally how it works. So they'll finish up paying what would be the more normal market value of the report if they buy the property. If they don't buy the property, they just pay the small yeah. download fee. The vendor will pay a fee. Um, and now that fee, there are a couple of different options we give vendors, you know, so they can pay as little as, you know, $100 or as much as $250 for the report, depends on the circumstances. Now, if that report's popular, we give, we'll, we'll, we'll refund part of that money to the vendor so that their investment isn't that much at all. And, and this is the crazy part for agents is often the difference between getting the cheaper service and getting a service that's more reliable uh, and so on might be to the cost of the vendor might be as little um, indifference as 70 or a hundred dollars, <laughs> um, which is bizarre when the cost of selling an apartment, you know, was probably $20,000. But if they're going to get one of those agents, those inspectors through that they know cuts corners or, you know, basically is in and out in 15 minutes, then... You know, and they're happy to tell their client, "Look, don't worry. You don't need to pay that extra seventy or hundred bucks because you know this one's going to be easier for you to deal with." <laughs> yeah, you're talking about building inspection reports there. I, I suspect, but yeah, um, yeah, and I, and I was probably talking more about strata oh. there as well. But yeah, I understand, and, and yes, we we have seen situations where an agent loves a building, in, a particular building inspector, because they've never done a bad report. <laughs> um, I've heard that exact quote from you know, unnamed real estate agents. And, and so that, that's a problem. And, and that's a problem in the industry, you know, yeah. that, that you'll always get some players who cut corners, no doubt about it. If you haven't done the strata mm. report though, as in the real estate agent hasn't appointed you, just thinking like if you were, yep. if you just do a random report on a, on a building and what roughly would that cost a buyer? So if a buyer comes to us and wants a report, then the cost of the buyer will be $330. And then if they don't buy the property, we'll give them a $50 rebate. Why do you um, do that? That's the, well, it's, it was something we introduced very early on when we, we started the business was to try and give the buyers something back if they're unsuccessful in buying the property because at that time, it was all buyer-generated reports. And so, they, as I said earlier, they were spending... Hundreds, uh, multiple times. It also gives us the opportunity. There might be another buyer who comes and pays um, that three hundred and thirty dollars as well because they are interested in the same property. So what we say is that anybody who who downloads the report for that property in that environment gets a rebate. So they get something back, you know, so for their investment in that case. So it's very kind uh, of you. <laughs> I mean, because also I would imagine that in a slower market where you don't have 10 people taking building and pest inspections for a property, you've got maybe one or two, yeah. Um, yeah. then the model the, the model that you've got is a lot less lucrative, right? Yes. And look, 
you're right. There are less buyers around, but you, those outlier properties where you get ten or fifteen people downloading the report aren't as many as people think. Right. <laughs> and so the way that we look at it is over the thousands of reports we do every year is what's the average download on a report. Oh, this is good. So because you could actually be reflecting what's really happening in the marketplace by average downloads. Yes. And, and so in a slower market like we've got now, you do see that average drop, right? And But it might be dropping from two and a half to 1.75. Right, but yeah. still significant. For example. I mean, one, yeah. one of the things that we measure is the number of registered bidders at an auction. Yes. And so mm -hmm. you can only get that from certain auction houses, um, certain yeah. agencies, but it, it's quite telling. So, yeah, you've got – that's quite, I think – quite interesting the amount yes. of Does it ever surprise I mean, you though Michael where you think oh <laughs> that property's got downloaded 15 times I don't know what people are thinking about with this property like the the, the Asians got their marketing down pat or you know yeah. severely That's underdeveloped quite a bit popular well yeah. Yeah, yes I mean again this was another issue facing buyers before we offered the vendor service is that they would think they're in the running they'd pay their $300 to get a report done uh, or more for a house and then, of course, the first bid comes in, and they're out of the they're out of the money. But so, you just, just is yeah. it like you look at a property? It's a quality asset. It's you know maybe that's to the to people less likely to download that, you know, because they think it's you know it's uh, you know doesn't need you know like people overestimate the need for a building report sometimes, and um, sometimes the properties I, I, that are in the best condition maybe they yeah. just always get. And I just, what's some of the surprises you see, like with the data aligned to the property per se, like, um, uh, does it just very, you know, like just like methodically match up great property should be lots of downloads or is it not really like that? It, it's not always like that now. So, the, so let, let's just quickly talk about houses. So a house is on the market. It might be, might have, might be a pretty decent house. But some of the buyers looking at it are thinking, I'm going to actually knock most of this property down and massively renovate it. Yeah. So the building inspection report's not that important to me because I'm going to do a massive amount of work to it. Yeah. But I'm going to knock it down and rebuild on on the property. So, yeah. the, so you, you, or the person who's looking at the property is a builder. And so they'll say, I'll make my own judgment about mm. it. I don't need to look at somebody else's work, right? Yeah. So so with houses, that, that and I do think that the the average percentage of people who get a building inspection report is lower than than so the average percentage of people who get a strata report i think a lot more people get a strata report um, if they're buying an apartment than people get building and pests if they're buying a house <laughs> maybe people, that's because um, of that yeah like when the people with the house though they say something's just been freshly renovated do you think people then yeah. just think oh it's just been renovated i don't need to Get a um, building report. Do you think that that is quite? I, I remember. An, I remember an example of this quite a few years ago, where we had done a report um, for. It was in the early days of us doing reports for agents, and this house had been beautifully renovated, and the building inspector said they'd done a great job on it, but they hadn't replaced the hundred-year-old roof, and so of course that went in the report, and the agents spat the dummy big time because he was he was marketing this property as you know basically it looks brand new but it needed fifty thousand dollars spent on the roof <laughs> right because the roof was pretty much at the end of its life and so 
that was a great example, if you want, of a situation where the buyer would have been really disappointed to buy this seemingly fully renovated house and then find that they had to spend this money on it um, straight away, pretty much. So, um, So there's traps there, I think, for people. Oh, totally. I mean, often people do... Might they like you said before? They might drop six hundred, seven hundred dollars on on a few building pest inspections, and yeah. then they give up, and then they go to auction for a property that they haven't done a building pest on, because they think, oh, I'm sick of wasting money, and I've got no chance yes. of getting it. And then they get it, yes. and, I, and sometimes it's yes. Murphy's law. I just think, well, I've probably got it because other people did get the building pest, and they knew what they were in for, and maybe you didn't. And there was a classic example of a property uh, I looked at some years ago and I'd gone through this house and, and I, th- oh, I could smell the fresh paint upstairs and I touched the wall and it was wet. It wasn't wet paint. Right. It was just that basically they'd just repainted this room, but there was obviously water coming in from somewhere and the whole yes. wall was wet. And I spoke to someone sometime later that bought the property and... Um, happened to be someone I knew and had decided not to engage us. And she said that she bought that particular house. And I said, oh, I said, so how long before you had to do something about that leak upstairs? And she said, how did you know about that? And I said, well, because I looked at the house and I touched it. Um, She's like, oh, and she was a bit embarrassed. We didn't get a building a pest inspection. And they'd had to spend something like I think it was like $25,000 or something, uh, unexpected costs yeah. straight up because it was just in terrible yeah. condition, uh, but it just yes. been painted up for sale. So, you know, people, I think people, if they haven't had that experience, they underestimate really what things can cost them in a house. So, so I was just going to say the same thing can happen with apartment buildings in that often there'll be unresolved issues in the building. It could be water leaks as well, and that's a very common, it's the most common mm. defect in newer buildings particularly, but... Um, and there's been, a, I can, I'm thinking of one very high profile example of this where the issues had been ongoing for years and never really been addressed by the owners. Uh. And then ultimately it became an enormous problem. And so, um, you know, what we went back and had a look and we had actually inspected the records three or four times and the same issues were there each time we'd done it over a few years. And so, and then ultimately, you know, it becomes a really big issue structurally as well as, um, you know, impact for the owners. And it was sort of all there. But, you know, people sort of saw it as a good buying opportunity probably because these properties were perhaps a little bit under market and they thought, oh, this is great. But really it wasn't great. So I think one of the biggest um, things I, um, so we've, um, I've literally just looked at my building and pest uh, for the property we purchased a few months ago. I think one of the things I love about it when it's done well, um, is it's sort of your, you know, your renovation sort of maintenance guide for the years to come, right? Like it's, it should be a document that you look at multiple times, not so much a document you look at because it's so emotional when you're purchasing you, you, your brain's got so much going on. What am I going to pay for it? Is it a good property? Is it the right property? Should I buy something else? Should I? And I, I think you, you do go through it and check, oh, is there anything major on there? No. Oh, okay, I still want to go for it. But you know, there is still lots of things on there that you still need to fix, right? And I, I think that's one of the problems. Yes. People just think it's like a one-off cost and there's no major benefit whether you buy the property or not. But if anything, it's just a list of what you want to fix for the next few years on your property. 
Yeah, I've often thought it'd be a good idea for people to have something like a capital works fund forecast or a sinking fund forecast for a house. Because, I mean, the reason it happens in an apartment building is you've got all these different owners and they they have to work it out together. When you're in a house, you've still got stuff that needs to be maintained and Uh. there's still a cost for that. And if people actually started saving for that now, then stuff would be more likely to get done in a timely manner instead of being done as an emergency, which is often what does happen. Or just before Um, they sell. Or just before they sell. Yeah, Yeah. the property looks great the day they sell it, but it wasn't great, you know, um, (laughs) in the lead up. It's a good point. And and that's the sort of thing that I say to buyers um, a lot when they're concerned about buying into strata because of the strata levies. And I say, well, actually, it's a way of budgeting to maintain the building amongst other things and pay insurance as well. Yes. Um, because in a house, yeah, that's all. it's all on you, but it's totally discretionary as to whether you do budget for that or not. And I think it's yes. funny, I, we an old building inspector that we used to use, uh, he's retired now, Peter Mazier, and, and I actually got him to come on your first, first home buyer podcast uh, in the first, probably the first 10 in, in that, maybe it was episode six, I think it was actually early on, a bit like you with this one. And, yeah. and I really wanted him to sort of to talk through from an old building inspector, really uh, through the whole inspection process, what you can learn through getting building inspections, why they're so important, all the rest of it. And I'd learned so much from him over the years. And he did say that basically the minute a building is finished, it starts, de- um, uh, what's it, de- I can't say deconstructing. Degrading. Degrading, yes. So so you have to maintain it from the base of the minute it's finished. <laughs> Yeah. And people don't often think of that. Yeah. Now, that's right. Even if it's just cleaning your gutters. Mm. I mean, you know, I've had a couple of situations in my place with just amazing sort of levels of rain that we've experienced it during the last year where you've had to race out in the pouring rain and get on a ladder and <laughs> you know, clean out a gutter that's overflowing. Yeah. Because, you know, you just forget to do it. We actually do a bit of work with a US-based business called Homebinder. And what they, they basically have an online logbook for houses. Ah. The idea is that... Is that you know, and we people who download our our building and pest reports, we give them a subscription to that service. Wow! Yeah. And the idea of it, the idea of it is that um, you know you can set up reminders during the year, so you know check your gutters, you know get your flexi hoses checked, you know under the sink. Yeah, you know, these are things that can fail and can cost a, a lot of money. We can, that's a separate issue, but but the and I've always thought this idea of a logbook for a property is great, um, but. Nobody does it. I love uh, it. Well, yeah, they, well, they don't really do it enough. Yeah, yeah, I totally yeah. love it, and and also um, getting pest inspections. So, so people get yeah. them before they buy a property, and really need yeah. to get them every well, probably every year. Well, it depends where you are yeah, as well, year. but yeah. certainly, yeah. you know, because God, you don't want pests chewing away on your um your your walls inside. <laughs> no, exactly, precisely. So- yeah. So while we're on that topic, Michael, should we have a property Dumbo Man. for you? Have you got another one? You've had four years to think of another one, so hopefully you've got one. So, well, I, I do have one, and <laughs> it it's, goes to this question about strata and the fact that often people don't understand, understand what they're buying into um, when they buy into an apartment building. And we've had a couple of people contact us and say, oh, look, we got your report, we bought this property, we really love the apartment, but we don't want to be part of the strata anymore. How do we resign from that? We don't really want to pay these levies anymore. We just like to live in our apartment and do our own thing. Oh my God! And Are you for real? And I, I'm for real. And um, and and it was just sort of really crystallizes that you know people are living in this environment, but they just do not understand what they bought. 
And, um, you know, they just thought, oh, well, you know, I'll just sort of leave that and the rest of the people, if they want to stay, they can they can do that. <laughs> oh, that does show a lack of understanding as to what they've bought into, isn't it? I mean, there's an obligation yeah. when you buy into Strata as well to, you know, the owner's corporation needs to actually maintain that building and you you bought into you, you're automatically a member in New South Wales anyway, you're automatically a member of the owner's corporation the minute you buy uh, uh, or the minute yes. you settle on the property. Uh, and so yes. you've got obligations as a result of that. So it's it's so pretty sad. People get big, uh, oh, yeah, I'd just like to opt out now. Not <laughs> but it happens a lot more than you think. You know, people uh, really do. I mean, there's a new concept to them. You know, they may have lived in a house or they may yeah. have never owned a property. They're downsizing, whatever it is. And so we have this situation where they, you know, they just really need to understand how this all works. And, and a lot of people... Just don't spend enough time to find out. Yeah, but, it's funny. Yeah. It reminds me of a story just a couple of weeks ago. I'm just trying to remember. It was, it was literally a client, and they had two really bad strata experiences. Um, and I was chatting to the phone. And she said, "No, we do not want to live in strata again." And I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah." I mean, and I was looking at their budget and where they want to live, and you know, and they were willing to compromise. Like they were literally. We to do anything it takes not to be in Strata again. Like they, it literally had been such a bad experience, both of these. And, um, it was, you know, and, and do you, I guess it's when they get those really bad experiences, you sort of expect that every building is going to have a bad Strata, et cetera. And that's what they, they literally had built this belief system that, you know, all Strata buildings are bad. All buildings, you know, never can get Ooh. it. Um, cause they've had these two, you know, it wasn't just the first one. I think it was the second one, you know, the experiences with neighbor. So I've even got a client at the moment who's, you know, wanting to get out, water ingress issues, you know, she's having to go back to VCAT apparently for the third time and it may likely get thrown out. It's going to go to some other level next year, but um, she, she'll go back in the strata, but I mean, she's going to have to go into that next thing with so much paranoia and stress about, I don't want to get, don't want to replicate that bad experience. Right. And mm. so do you see that's, um, where you get that type of client comes to you where they're just so nervous and anxious with the strata report of, you know, is everything there? You know, I need to, cause it's the leap of faith, isn't it? Even if you get a great strata report, there's always the unknowns or things that aren't on there that potentially should be on there. Yeah. I mean, you look at it. Usually that usually there's, there's enough information to give you a hint if there's problems. Um, and as I was saying before, that there's a lot of indicators in the records that will tell you whether a building's likely to be a good building or likely to be a bad building, whether it's a history of special levies or whether it's deferring expenditure or or whether they've you know uh. um, there's conflicts in the building. Um, they keep rejecting motions, you know, and perhaps you have a strata committee that just doesn't want to spend money as well. They can be the problem. Yeah, uh. and this lady's situation where she's she's had to go. Um, to VCAT, I think the example you gave was then, um, you know, the, the obviously the, the owner's corporation isn't getting the issue resolved. Uh, no. Now, either because they don't want to spend the money um, or they're trying to get somebody else to fix it and it's just not happening. It could be the developer or d depending on the circumstances. Oh, I think uh, this situation, they just don't want to spend the money on the building. They're just uh, like yeah. a mafia, just holding their money in their pocket and... Um, yeah. Almost like, yeah, hoping she just sort of sells and, and walks away. But, you know, you can't sell because otherwise there'll fire sale because, you know, this issue is uh, documented. It's been a fight for years and um, no one wants to touch it, right, until it's all so solved. Um, 
And it's, you yeah. know, this is sort of the issues. I think that's why probably the, like you say, is to know what to look for in the strata report. What are the red flags? What are the warning signs that this could be a building that mm. may have problems? Do you really mm. want to take that risk or not? Um, because yep. it's the stress and things that come after it. I like, mean, that's, that's been yep. the most horrible case I know of um, for one of our clients yep. where they literally are like a prisoner there. They don't want to be there. They want to move on, but they can't because, um, yeah, yep. and it, I, this corporation have basically got them under uh, handcuffs till yep. they get, and they're yeah, just holding a, back. That's a bad situation. And, and, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes we do see th- things like that where there's bad stuff going on. There's people who've been suffering water leak issues for five or seven years, mm. um, yep. and they're not resolved. I mean, and then- Apart from any financial cost, I mean the 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 impact on them is yeah you know, for their quali- quality yeah. of life is awful. Um, and if they're an investor, then the difficulty in getting rental income or a decent rental income for the place is is it's a problem. Yeah, and yeah. also not all apartments tend to be affected. So oh, you know, if you're on the top floor, no, yeah. it's a roofing yeah. issue. They're going to be affected. If it's mm. if it's on the southern side, you know, they're probably more likely to be affected than say on the northern side of the building. So yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. these mm-hmm. are issues that can unfairly impact different people within the complex as well. And so they're, you know, it's more important for them to get it sorted out, whereas others that are not impacted, you know, it's not going to be high on their agenda. So and this is all part of you know community living really. And like you say, yeah. it's getting the due diligence done correctly and relying on the right due diligence is really what this is these are all examples of why it's so important all right thank you so much michael really appreciate your time and sort of coming back on and and discussing these sorts of things and bringing them to the attention of our listeners because yep no absolutely no problem yeah, just people are assuming that, you know, you, you get these things, you tick these boxes, or if the agent's even provided, that's that's sufficient. And I think that it's important that people oh, understand, yeah. you know, when it may not be. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.